<clears throat> so I want to say a few words about um, speech practice in general, and then we'll go to our exercise. Um, so crucial. Many of us have a mindfulness practice and may find a challenge in even having half an hour a day for our practice. And the area of speech is so amazing because if we can turn speech into an area of cultivation of what some of the people just named, a sense of presence, a sense of kindness, skill in being with difficult emotions and so forth, if we can do that, all of a sudden, some of us may be having time for five or 10 hours a day of dedicated practice. <laughs> in which we're cultivating. So it's this vast area that we can really uh, open up to. And yet we know that it's very challenging, that speech practice can be, can be hard. It can be both be hard and be wonderful. We know that uh, when we're in distress, a moment of careful listening and skillful speech can be life-changing. We can feel connected when we're isolated you know, that skillful speech. And I think I would include even uh, digital communication or Zoom communication, that skillful speech can be life-changing. There's a great uh, writer and activist named Abraham Joshua Heschel, uh, who talked about developing holiness in words that becomes possible. And yet we also know that um, speech can very quickly lead to difficulties in communication. You know, I have a, I have a cartoon here. Let me see if I can show this to you. It shows, you can see it shows a woman talking to a police officer and there's a detective standing behind and then there's a, also behind the couch on which the woman is sitting, there are the feet sticking up, which look like a body on the floor. And then the caption is, let's see, he misspoke, I misheard, shots rang out. Is that familiar? <laughs> right? And so things can happen very, very quickly. You know, we know that there can be, uh, uh, with unskillful speech, there can be breakdown of relationships, uh, a lot of anguish. Uh, going back almost 2,500 years, the, the ancient Greek philosopher Socrates said, the misuse of language induces evil in the soul. <laughs> the misuse of language induces evil in the soul. and. And yet there's also possible, and I think at this point, Jesse, I think I might uh, bring up uh, document number four. Can you do that? This is from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. And this is, uh, this is, on, this is in the uh, Google Docs. Aware of the suffering caused by unmindful speech and the inability to listen to others, I vow to cultivate loving speech and deep listening in order to bring joy and happiness to others and relieve others of their suffering. 
Knowing that words can create happiness or suffering, I vow to learn to speak truthfully with words that inspire self-confidence, joy, and hope. I am determined not to spread news that I do not know, to be certain, and not to criticize or condemn things of which I am not sure. I will refrain from uttering words that can cause division or discord or that can cause the family or community to break. I will make all efforts to reconcile and resolve all conflicts, however small. Thank you. Thank you, Jesse. And so how do we, how do we cultivate wise speech? How do we move towards these, um, this possibility of having careful, loving speech? And uh, in this segment, I want to especially talk about the resources that we get <clears throat> from the Buddhist tradition. And then I'll be bringing in more contemporary resources in some of the other segments. But the we get initially some very powerful resources from the teachings of the Buddha. And those uh, can be expressed primarily as a set of ethical guidelines. And interestingly, you know, um, many of you might have noted that what's called sometimes right speech, we sometimes call it wise speech, is part of the ancient uh, Noble Eightfold Path that the Buddha outlined, you know, almost 2,600 years ago. We may have an idea that weren't all those monastics uh, just meditating all the time? What were they doing talking? Why were they, you know, why do you need right speech? Weren't they just being silent all the time? But the reality is, that they were living in community. They were, you know, if you read the text, they were often being invited to dinner parties with wealthy hosts, you know, or, or local, local uh, leaders or teachers. And when you read the old text, you find that actually there were times when communication broke down, there were conflicts, there were examples of unskillful speech that you find in the text. And so very interestingly, one of the main areas of training, one of the eight areas of training that was singled out by the Buddha was for right speech. And again, uh, right the, is a translation of the word Sama and probably better translated in Western culture by something like developed or completed or realized. Uh, not so much uh, a tight sense of right and wrong, but more a sense of uh, skillful, developed, realized, although there is unskillful speech that was talked about. Uh, there, that is certainly uh, identified. And the, um, the teaching was that of developing four guidelines, particularly. This is really the, at the core of the uh, teachings that the Buddha gave, more ethical teachings. I'll bring in some teachings related to mindfulness and then developing qualities like empathy, being skillful when uh, speech conditions are difficult. But what we especially get, and this is a wonderful starting point for our speech, are four guidelines for, for skillful speech. Uh, let's bring up uh, slide number one, Jesse. 
And these are, these are actually what we find in the text. We find that there is an emphasis on having our speaking follow four guidelines. And what's very important is that they all have to go together. So we have truthfulness, we have helpfulness, we have, we might say kindness, coming from a good heart is the third. And then the fourth is clear intention and good timing. And the Buddha particularly emphasized good timing. So I'll talk about each of those. We can let the, let slide off now, Jesse. <clears throat> that um, there was an emphasis on all four and all four of them had to be there. And the other thing I should say is that these guidelines were in the context of the, the larger training. So as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, wise speech is very dependent on our training also in wisdom and mindfulness, concentration, livelihood, and so forth, that these are all interconnected. It's not simply that we learn how to speak, we develop some guidelines, but that we're also cultivating wisdom, the good heart, uh, mindfulness, and so forth. So I'll say a little bit about each of these guidelines, and then we'll do an exercise together where we can, can work with these. <clears throat> so the first guideline is that of being truthful. And this, again, what I'll point to is that all of the guidelines have to go together. Here, I think, Jesse, we could use uh, maybe number three. Let's go to number three. This is, this is really another way of saying these, uh, giving these four guidelines. And I think two of them can wrap into one. A statement endowed with five factors is well-spoken, not ill-spoken. It is blameless and unfaulted by knowledgeable people. Which five? It is spoken at the right time. That was our fourth guideline. It is spoken in truth. That was our first. It is spoken affectionately. That's our third. It is spoken beneficially. That's our second. It is spoken with a mind of goodwill. That's really another way of talking about the third. So you can let that off uh, now, Jesse. And so a little bit about each of these. Um, being truthful is gonna be helpful in two ways. And these guidelines will function in two main ways. First of all, they can guide our behavior. We can use the guidelines to be truthful rather than untruthful. A second way in which we can use the guidelines is to uh, let them be wake-up calls. When, we're, when we notice that we're, let's say, violating the guideline of truthfulness, I'm exaggerating, I'm not quite telling the truth, or maybe I'm telling an outright lie, I can have that all of a sudden wake me up and I can ask what's happening. So generally speaking, these guidelines can function those two ways, behavioral suggestions, behavioral guidelines, number one, and number two, uh, chances to wake up, chances to look. And you may want in the next weeks to work with the guidelines. When I, I had a group, uh, an ongoing group, and we worked with these guidelines for six months, taking each of them for a month, 
Then we brought them together for two months. And during that time, I had by my telephone, I wrote the guidelines, which are still on my wall, by my telephone, uh, by my landline. And the, I had the guidelines uh, be truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing. And whenever the telephone would ring, I would say truthful, helpful, good heart, good timing, hello. <laughs> you can work with them like that. It's pretty interesting where you can, another way to work with them is to go into a uh, challenging discussion and have those guidelines or have just have a very simple maybe work meeting and have and work with those guidelines take those guidelines so they're 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 very good with uh, being truthful we can notice of course that there are um, whether there might be outright lying and of course from a social perspective uh, lying leads to distrust, you know, and, you know, we can see that in our interpersonal lives. We can see that in, you know, in terms of uh, politicians who lie and how that, how there often is a lack of trust, right? We can see that on many, many levels and all these guidelines have uh, ways of understanding them, both in terms of uh, interpersonal behavior, but also more collectively. You know, we can ask how much truthfulness is there in this institution, in our workplace, in our in, in this institution, in uh, in my community, in in the media, and so forth. We can ask that, and so we can look to questions of truthfulness and we and and lying, but we can also look particularly at questions of half truths, exaggerations, and so forth, and really and really work with those. <clears throat> the second guideline is that of being helpful. And again, the, uh, the issue here is to, is to actually bring them all together. I can be very truthful and not be so helpful. And maybe this came out of the uh, intention that was expressed. I remember we had right in succession the intentions, I want to be, uh, be direct and uh, uh, I want to learn to be direct and be, be uh, in difficult situations and more direct. And when the next person said, I want to be less direct, right? Because we can be truthful, but not helpful or kind, right? We sometimes call that dumping. We can use truth as a weapon. And so very crucial for wise speech is to bring all of these together. So we can bring in... Um, helpful speech, and we can really ask that, what is there? Again, we can use it as a, we can use it as a, a question of, uh, am I really being mindful? Am I, uh, am I, when I notice I'm not being helpful, we can ask what's there, what's present, what's my motivation? The third guideline is that of coming from a good heart, being kind, having goodwill, we can talk about it in different ways. And here it's very important to say that this doesn't mean being nicey-nice. One of the hard aspects of skillful speech, I think this was pointed to in some of the intentions, is having um, speech that comes from the good heart in difficult circumstances. 
how can you say difficult things and still come out of kindness? Not easy, right? You know, maybe a lot of us had training to do that in parenting, but how do you do that with friends and family at work when you have to say something difficult? So the guideline of being kind doesn't mean being nicey nice. And it, again, is part of more advanced training to learn how to be warm, kind, come from a loving heart and still say things that are necessary and difficult. That's a very crucial point. You know, I remember when I was teaching on why speech and I was talking to my mom and she told me a story about a man who was actually uh, one of my college teachers named uh, Robert Lifton, who's still alive in his early 90s. He's a psychiatrist. Anyone know Robert Lifton? You can raise your hand or know his name. He's done some really groundbreaking work on trauma, on uh, uh, really on healing from difficult social circumstances. Anyway, he was giving a talk that my mom went to and there was a question and answer time and someone answered the question and clearly didn't understand what he was saying. And a collective groan went over the audience, my mom said. And Robert Lifton's uh, response stayed with her. This was 10 years before she talked with me. So this one minute interchange stayed with her for 10 years. And she said, oh, I remember this. He was so kind with her misunderstanding. He said, oh, I really see how you might have thought that. And he went around and really connected with her. And then, but he also was able to say what he had meant. And that one minute interchange stayed with my mom for 10 years. She remembered it because it was so and so powerful. And so again, we can we can notice, am I being uh, kind? We can notice when we're not kind. You know, for me, I you know, when I was working with these groups and I would do my own work with the guidelines, and this is something you can do, you can see which of some of these you'll be better at than others when you work with these. I noticed, especially when I was feeling busy, wanting to be efficient, I was really good at being truthful and helpful, but I wasn't always so warm because I wanted to get something done, right? Pretty familiar? Anyone anyone have that familiar? <laughs> okay, right. So um, I noticed that I was, bet I was always pretty good at helpfulness and truthfulness, but not always so good at the warmth aspect. Sometimes when I was in a certain mode, that went by the side. And so studying these, I got to know these. And the last is timing, having good timing. And so this is an interesting one. You know, I kind of imagine the Buddha walking around, talking to all these practitioners saying, how's your timing? Good timing? How's your timing? And uh, but he was actually asking that, that one can have one can be incredibly truthful in your speaking, in one's speaking, be helpful, kind of have a beautiful heart, and if the timing is bad, it can be a disaster. Isn't that good to know? <laughs> right? Uh, you have to have all four of them together, and timing is really, really crucial. We can ask people, is this a good time to have this conversation? Is it a good time for me? Very, very crucial aspect. So 
these are the guidelines. We can work with them. You can put them on your wall, put them on your refrigerator. One person I worked with, she, in her difficult discussions with her teenage daughter, she would have her hand and she wrote the four guidelines in her hand and they were in front of her as she was speaking with her daughter, right? You can do it like that. You can work with them. So that's, this is our first, uh, this is our first segment that we want to, that we want to uh, work with. And I'm going to do an exercise right now. Let me, let me 